Good morning. Last week in, in Athens, Capital Links organized um, a shipping forum on opportunities and challenges, which by any means was a huge success. When Nicolas Bornozis presented, introduced the equivalent panel on regulations, he said that that's the most important panel of the, of the conference, that's what you said. So it is our duty to justify this reputation, of, uh, but also to offer some suggestions which can be used by the community to address the incoming regulations. The, um, we will be talking about a range of regulations which require different technical solutions. For a minute I'll be a little bit more technical, but then we'll come back to more general. So we, have, we are dealing with socks and particulates which depend exclusively on the sulfur content of the fuel. We are dealing with oxides of nitrogen which depend on the mode of combustion and in particular on the maximum temperature of the mixture during burning. We are dealing with greenhouse gases and CO2. This depends purely on the efficiency of combustion and the amount of fuel burn, and of course the, the uh, amount of carbon present in the fuel. And we are also dealing with ballast water which is a, a, a way of focusing on the mode of processing of the ballast. Although each of these regulations require different technical solution, they have one thing in common. They demand a huge investment of a few million euros per ship. And this is uh, something urgent that needs to be addressed because the capex will go up and sometimes even the opex will have to increase. However, although the shipping community is, is familiar with the cycles, it seems they haven't learned enough by paying attention to what happened in the automotive industry about 25 years ago. The issues are very similar and some lessons can be learned which can help ship owners and others to reach the right decision. And I'll say just very few words because I prefer to leave my colleagues to express their views and at the end I'll tell you uh, from my experience in, in Brussels uh, uh, in the late 90s. Especially on the issue of sulfur, the lessons are very similar because when the decision was taken to remove sulfur from diesel around the world, they were talking about very small quantities of sulfur. And I'm only going to give you a number just to make the case. Nearly zero sulfur in diesel. We are talking about 30 parts per million. When we are talking in shipping, about 0.5% sulfur, we are referring to 5,000 parts per million. So the refineries and the oil industry can achieve a lot, provided there is an incentive from the market. 
I'm not going to say anything more. I prefer to, to come back to this point. We have a very strong panel with very experienced colleagues. And the way we are going to run it, I will be asking one question to each member of the panel. But other members, if they want to add something, uh, they are welcome uh, to, to do that. So I will start with the first question, and then I'll present the respondent. Is today's technology mature enough to satisfy all emerging environmental regulations? And I'd like to invite Dr. John Kokarakis, who is the Vice President Technology and Business Development of Bureau Veritas. John. Thank you very much. Good morning. Welcome to the mother of all forums, and happy Valentine's Day. Uh, the short answer to this question is no, but let me elaborate a little bit. Uh, mature technology is one that is in use for long enough time so that inevit the inevitable inherent defaults and uh, glitches have been reduced or removed by further development. Of course, even mature technologies uh, are subject to uh, evolutionary improvements. Uh, looking at the, at the hot potato <coughs> regulations of the present ballast water treatment, uh, abatement of gas, uh, greenhouse gases, and the global food cap of 2020, we can conclude that political and, uh, political and public pressure has pushed the regulations ahead of technology. And let me drop some bombs from each, for each one. Balanced water treatment. Recent reports state that more than 40% of the installed treatment systems are inoperable. Further, Saudi Arabia recently released a paper to the IMO whereas balanced water exchange works in a better fashion than the existing ballast water treatment systems. We are still waiting for the ballast-free ship. We represent thousands of tons of ballast water by a few liters of sampling instead of a continuous bio-counter type of monitoring like, for example, flow cytometry. We cannot have balanced water treatment systems for smaller vessels. As a proof to that, it is reminded that the G12 the, the G, uh, uh, G8 type approval guideline has been recently revised, which is an indication of imperfection. Going to, to the SOX regulation. What we do, in essence, we remove from air and we put in the water. We take from Peter and we give to Paul. <laughs> so 
the main idea is that all those scrubbers are well advanced and their use is extended in land. In the water, they are baby teething yet, being at their infancy. So we need to expand this technology. Even more importantly, the policing of the application of this regulation is imperfect. We need to play in the level field. Recently, last week, as a matter of fact, in the PR5, PPR5 committee, subcommittee of IMO, the Pollution Prevention and Requirements Subcommittee, it was voted that ships that do not have exhaust gas cleaning systems will be prevented, forbidden to carry HFO. This will soon be uh, in action starting from March 20, 2020. This reminds me as if your, your hand is aching and you, you cut your hand. Further, more importantly, the decarbonization, the abatement of CO2 and greenhouse gases. We have huge unleashed amounts of renewable energy which remain, remain unexploited. We need to devise easy storage systems. We hear words about LNG. Yes, LNG, but we need to perfect the storage systems and cross-pollinate with knowledge from other disciplines in such a way that this is feasible and cheap. We need to have effective engines to burn these alternative fuels. We need to have holistic regulations which do not conflict with each other, which is not the case today. Thank you. Let's move to the second question. And there will be a little bit of overlap, which will be helpful to, to get all the views. The second question is concerning the global sulfur cap. Which do you consider as the best alternative options for reaching compliance in 2020? And the respondent will be Dr. Loiso Sisaias, Head of Maritime Service Center, Southeast Europe and Middle East of DNDGL. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good morning uh, to everybody. It's always my pleasure to be in Cyprus, having a Cypriot passport, so it's, uh, I feel at home, yeah. Uh, the answer to your question, the quick one, is there is no answer. Uh, each solution to comply with uh, needs, to be, needs to be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis, depending on your buildings or existing ships, ship type, size, and age, the trade routes, for example, liner or spot market, and in addition, owners may have to consider some new and updated uh, regional regulations. For example, we hear that China are considering to implement the CAP as early as uh, beginning of next year. Uh, there are some discussions about possibilities for postponement. And uh, uh, to consider all the players around the issue, EU directive will anyway come into effect. USA is not likely to postpone. China, as I said earlier, is considering an early implementation. 
However, in IMOSERCOS, there are some discussions and proposals from some members for postponement. The official position of IMO right now is that there will be no postponement. In recent publications, we have seen statements like, and I'm just reading out exactly how they were published, IMO says no turning back to 2020 Sulfur Cup. In another uh, uh, occasion, IMO asks ship owners to back latest commitment to Sulfur Cup with action, but also we have seen uh, statements like plea for Sulfur Cup transition period persist at IMO. My conclusion out of all this is that uh, really we don't know. Uh, there is no a clear answer if there is going to be a postponement uh, or not, at this stage at least. Uh, with respect to the alternatives, there are indeed different alternatives which are being discussed. First one is heavy fuel and scrappers. This is financially a viable solution. From some study we have done in DNVGL, we came to the conclusion that comparing this solution to the compliant fuels, the scrapper solution for a big ship and a medium-sized uh, ship, maybe the payback period could be less than five years. So for age, uh, let's say, below 15 years, 10, 15 years, this can be a viable solution. It has, however, we need some high installation time, and uh, the solution needs space. We need space. We have stability issues to consider. We have strength issues to consider. There are safety and control issues to consider. So it's a complex uh, project. It's not straightforward. And uh, also, there are uh, the, the commercial considerations, like some locations around the world, are not uh, going to, uh, to accept the, the, the open-loop scrappers. Next solution is compliant fuels. It takes time and money, it's true, uh, to achieve new fuels, and no much time is left. We are less than two years to go. I'm just reading out from Lloyd's List the last week, actually. It was an interesting article, and the heading tells the whole story. It says, desulfurization and the acquisition of the necessary technology will cost 1 billion USD per refinery and take five to seven years to complete infrastructure changes. So we have to consider also the fact that shipping is not a priority of refineries. So this solution is not likely to be in black and white available to us on the 1st of January 2020. Blending, however, is an option, but very critical is going to be the differential price between this new compliant fuels and the heavy fuel oil. Next alternative is LNG as fuel. LNG, as it was mentioned also earlier, has good environmental performance. We can underline this. LNG can achieve complete removal of SOX and PMs reduction of NOx of up to 85%, reduction of CO2 up to 25%, and it has also a positive impact on the EMBI of a ship. However, for this solution, as you very well know, we need a high investment, in particular the cost of the LNG tanks it's, it costs a lot of money. It's, a, it's a, a considerable percentage of the value of the ship itself. Plus the space. 
those tanks need particular space and for existing ships this is a big uh, headache. The next important uh, uh, problem with this is the availability of LNG around the world. It's not readily available like the heavy fuels. Uh, the, the, the experience so far is not very positive in the sense that there are less than 200 ships today running on LNG and these ships are uh, running in areas of Northern Europe and Scandinavia where there is infrastructure to assist uh, this, uh, this trading. So the last option which was mentioned also by the previous speakers and it's very likely to play a role is uh, uh, distillates, MGO, MDO. And uh, of course, there is some experience with this uh, already from OSECA compliance. However, the big disadvantage of this one is very, very high prices. Uh, and also, we have seen already a lot of problems with uh, operational problems because of low viscosity of, of these uh, fuels. So, as uh, you have seen from this analysis of the alternative options, it, it, it's, it's not an easy question. That's why, Mr. Chairman, my first uh, response was, uh, we don't know, it's not crystal clear uh, yet. And I think I would just leave it at that. The, the third question is related to the second. Uh, should non-compliant heavy fuel oil on board ships be banned after 2020? Mr. Yanis Evstratiou, Acting Director, Department of Merchant Shipping, Cyprus. Thank you, Dr. Rachmanis. Before going directly to your question, and since it's the first time that I take the floor, please allow me to say good morning to all. Please allow me to say happy Valentine's to all, especially those that they are still in love with his or her partner, and above all, to all of you that you are still in love with your profession. Shipping is an industry of passion. Either you like it or not. If you like it and you are devoted to shipping, then you become a successful professional. Either take my advice and change profession. And uh, by the way, because nothing is a coincidence, even the choice of the color of my tie, as Captain Cook also, is related with uh, uh, today's day. And of course, special thanks to Nikos Bornozis for once again organized for a second successful year, the second Capital Link uh, Shipping uh, Forum. Obviously, because nothing is a coincidence, uh, Limassol has its place among other giant cities like uh, New York, after Singapore, and Shanghai. Thank you, Nikos. Of course, it's a win-win situation. Thank you. And now, going to, uh, to the question, I will be brief because, you know, we are seven members of this panel, That's, uh, that means that I have on average seven minutes. But uh, it's very important uh, uh, to make a comments about the composition of this panel. I'm representing the, uh, the regulator. Three of these distinguished uh, gentlemen came from recognized organizations. That means from the body that they are uh, uh, they are the consultants of ship owners and managers, and also 
they verified through the certification process about the compliance with new and every regulation. Two gentlemen are coming from ship owner or ship management parts. Uh, these are the entities that they are paying the bill. So we have to hear them very carefully. And last but not least, my friend, Mr. Costantinos Stambelakis, who is representing uh, uh, the manufacturers, are actually the ones that take benefits of new regulations because they are collecting money from the, from the implementation. Not yet, not yet. Very soon. And now, very briefly, the question, just to send a picture from you. Global sulfur cap, starting from 2005 to 4.5%, going to uh, 2012 to 3.5, that means a reduction of around uh, 25%, and now from 1st January of 2020, 0.5%. This is a dramatic change, over 20%. And this will have implication also, a huge implication, on the cost of fueling. So, how to meet uh, lower sulfur emissions? Very briefly, because uh, my friend Luis has explained it uh, in details, by using low sulfur compliant fuel, by using gas as a fuel, or by using scrappers. I will be honest with you. I have never seen such a system. I asked my colleagues that carry port state control in Cyprus if they have never seen such a system. The answer was not. I'll go through the records of ships under the Cyprus flag. I have the impression that there is only one or maximum a couple of ships using that, that technology. This give us a signal. Why? because the uh, gas cleaning uh, system, uh, there are still significant questions about cost, reliability, environmental performance, and also about the final disposal of that scrapper. Uh, yesterday I tried to find if there is any port of the world providing reception facilities for scrappers. I have the impression, the, uh, the impression that we can find such services only in some ports in North Europe, in Scandinavian countries. So, now, coming uh, to the core of the question, I will be brief. Should HFO should be banned? Uh, Mr. Kokarakis already gave an answer. In PPR 5, actually there is no decision. The decision will be taken by next MEPC, that there will be a ban of carrying HFOs on ships. And the interesting issue that the industry supports this proposal. So the answer, yes, it will be a ban because it will facilitate effective enforcement of the requirement, harmonize compliance and consistent implementation, it would provide clarity and is administrative burden. Thank you and sorry for taking 
almost all of my seven minutes. Thank you. Uh, just to add on this, uh, the, the banning of uh, uh, heavy fuel oils uh, is related, and it's already going on, in the Antarctic water under Marpol. So it's not something new. Simply, it's geographically uh, located, and it's not allowed. And, and the question that was requested by BIMCO the International Chamber of Shipping and Intertanko is to ban it from 2020. Next question. And this goes to Kosta Stambadakis, Managing Director of Erma First. It's the obvious one for him. Following such a long period of uncertainty, what are the remaining issues preventing the installation of ballast water systems on board all ships? Technical, installation issues, yard capacity, whatever. Thank you, Professor. Uh, good morning to everyone. So with, uh, with uh, some uh, broken bones uh, from Yanis uh, Fritz, uh, obviously with the wrong uh, color of tie for today, but with uh, the pocket full of money, as Yanis uh, said, I will try to, uh, to, to, to answer your question. So. First of all, okay, what I used to say in uh, such occasions, um, please don't shoot the rabbit. Uh, BWTS makers or scrubber makers or all the other environmental uh, equipment protection makers, uh, we're not, uh, we, we, we are considering ourselves as a solution providers. We're not behind the legislation. We wish uh, we could be because um, uh, we could have more practical uh, uh, regulations because I admit that most of the regulations today, they're not practical. And that makes, of course, your life uh, much uh, uh, more um, difficult and complex, but it does the same uh, to us. So all of us, uh, based on the guidelines of the conventions, uh, we have invested a huge amount of money for developing technologies which we hope and we wish uh, uh, will be implemented at some point on your vessels, become mature, and uh, solve the problem. Um, so, um, yesterday we had the 14th anniversary of the convention. The convention counts already 14 years. Those 14 years, IMO has issued uh, to 12 uh, guidelines, numerous uh, um, revisions of those, and a lot of uh, uh, inf documents and circulars which uh, are serving the smooth uh, implementation of the, of the convention. Today, uh, after the entry into force, 68 countries representing more than 75% of the world uh, fleet owners have uh, became uh, uh, members of the treaty. The timeline for the implementation timeline according to IMO uh, is already set and it affects uh, vessels with uh, dry dock due dates within 2019 and onwards. So this is a fixed date, uh, this is a fixed uh, implementation schedule. So the uncertainty uh, um, on, on this uh, issue uh, has, uh, has, uh, um, uh, has disappeared. From the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, we have the United States, uh, which actually are not a member of the party. And as we all know, they will never be me uh, members of the party. And for that reason, they have <coughs> developed their own uh, uh, regulations and certification scheme uh, with regards to ballast water. Uh, Elmafirst is one of the, it's worth to mention at this point that Elmafirst is one of the few technologies which have managed to receive the US Coast Guard type approval uh, for the, the ballast water treatment system. 
So going back to the regulation, the discharge standards between US Costco and IMO are exactly the same. So another uncertainty just disappeared. And the implementation schedule, it's almost the same like uh, IMOs, uh, which uh, actually affects uh, vessels with uh, due date uh, in 2019 and onwards. So summarizing all these, uh, I, my personal opinion is that the most of the uncertainties uh, are, are already out. Um, we have uh, um, some clarity when to install. The ship owners today, they have uh, uh, a vast uh, um, uh, selection of, uh, of uh, technologies which uh, can fit uh, on board their vessels. So technologies are there. They're not mature, as Yanni uh, uh, said, but in order to be mature, we need to install systems and we need to start operating systems. Um, IMO was proactive enough uh, since uh, the last MPC or two, two MPCs back, where actually have adapted the, the experience gain phase, which allows all the operators of the treatment systems uh, uh, to operate the system and um, data log all the experience, data log the failures, data log the success, and report those back to the administration. This gives uh, th this uh, information will uh, act as a data bank for the IMO and for all of us to optimize our systems. No fines or bans uh, are including in that uh, in this experience uh, game phase. Um, to conclude, um, I would like to say that um, there are pioneering companies, uh, shipping companies, uh, uh, like uh, Chaco's uh, uh, group of companies, like uh, Safe Bulkers, which have decided and they have installed systems, they're operating the systems, and, uh, uh, and uh, the experience that they're gaining is really valuable for the years to come. So I think we need to move from the wait and see era to the take uh, some actions era. Thank you so much. Thank you, Costa. Next question is uh, uh, addressed to uh, Mr. Marinos Anastasiu, New Buildings Technical Manager to Starbuck, of Starbuck. Is slow steaming a solution for the reduction of emissions from shipping? is a viable solution to reduce emissions. Um, if you burn less fuel, you have fewer emissions. By slow steaming, um, you will also have more ships, and that will have a positive effect on the market, hopefully. <coughs> I think that for the start, many owners and uh, charterers will take this option uh, in order to reduce emissions rather than installing scrubbers or anything else. Um, I'm not sure if these statistics are actually correct. Uh, there are qualified people here who can probably be more accurate from the figures. I'm mentioning this. <coughs> Uh, to highlight a concept that has not been considered by the regulators 
And I believe personally that all of these issues have been dealt with and approached in the wrong way. Not enough thought has gone into the possible ways of handling ballast water or emissions. So we end up with perhaps not good solutions for our problems that will affect us all. Um, merchant vessels account for about 90% of the goods transported globally. Fossil fuels account for, or rather, ships burn around 5% of the fossil fuels that are used worldwide. So if we consider what shipping offers in terms of transportation for consumption, there is no other industry or transportation means that can match the efficiency of our industry. In addition, the slow speed diesel engines that run our vessels are the most efficient internal combustion engines that are presently available. Far more efficient than um, people's motor cars that you drive. As well as burning uh, the worst possible fuel that you can buy, considering the treatment that it has to go through before it actually enters the engine. I don't think that the air pollution issue has been uh, treated with enough thought. Um, and we should be looking at feasible long-term solutions based on a different approach, without continuously forcing the marine industry to comply with regulations that do not necessarily offer any positive results. Has anybody thought about the volume of transport and the fuel that we burn compared to what is actually emitted and where it is emitted by merchant vessels in terms of pollution? And what would we achieve by fitting scrubbers or ballast water treatment systems? In order to make a scrubber, you need to consume energy. This has to come from somewhere. They don't grow by themselves. The same applies for ballast water treatment systems. So I think that we should be looking at this in a slightly different way. How much do we need to, what do we offer? How much will it cost in terms of environmental effects to actually fabricate these things, install them, run them, operate them, feed chemicals into them? All of these things require energy to be made. And at some point in time, these will have to be scrapped. So what are we going to do with all these strange materials? I'm sure I, I know what can be done with them, but there are so many negative aspects in the way that the, the issue has been treated that I think that greater thought should be given. And um, uh, I'm sure that uh, at the end of the day, what we all want here is to uh, 
have clean air for ourselves, our children, our grandchildren, and our families. I, I believe that there are much better ways of uh, achieving this. And slow steaming is uh, one very, very simple example. Uh, thank you very much. I hope I didn't tie you with all this. Um, it was a rather last minute kind of thing. Of course, with slow steaming, there are many uh, smaller questions like uh, maximum speed, double speed, different shift types, and so on. But let's move to the next one. The next question is, how compatible is IMO's data collection system with EU's MRV? Are we talking about two different systems demanding reporting to two, to two separate authorities? Uh, I'd like to invite Mr. Manuel Vergetis, who is Senior Consultancy Specialist at Lloyd's Register. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, before answering the question, uh, which I believe most of the people, most of the operators are familiar now with this uh, MRV regulation, uh, for sure the, all these new uh, technologies and uh, systems on board ships are very challenging. Uh, for everybody. Uh, we also need to take into account that the EU has been, uh, has committed to the Paris Agreement and uh, we also have uh, the IMO greenhouse gas emissions uh, roadmap uh, coming up in the next uh, MAPC in April. So we might see more things that uh, coming up that uh, it will be really important that all the stakeholders, class societies, owners, makers, and of course, uh, possibly the, fi the, the financing sector, get together and uh, collaborate to ensure the safe implementation of any other thing that, no, any other regulation that is going to come up. And now with respect to the MRV regulation and the IMO, generally the concept uh, is the same uh, of the regulations. Uh, the IMO uh, scheme is uh, a bit more simple, I guess, uh, than the MRV, so the metrics for the EU MRV regulations uh, are more detailed than the one of the IMO. Uh, so to answer your question, uh, the two schemes are expected to run in parallel uh, for the next year or years. There is a commitment uh, in the regulation in uh, EU 2015-757, uh, the MRV regulation, uh, which clearly states that when we will have a global uh, IMO uh, MRV regulation, IMO uh, scheme, uh, EU will actually try to align to this global uh, regulation. For the moment, this is uh, yet to come. We already have the 30 system that it is operating, through which the owners and the verifiers uh, will uh, uh, verify the, the, the reports. Uh, with respect to the differences, without getting into many technicalities, uh, I think two, ma two main differences of the scheme is that uh, for the IMO, the verifier is the flag, or possibly the arrows, 
uh, while for the MRV scheme we have the verifiers uh, which are also class societies and other uh, organizations. Uh, a big difference is of course with respect to the um, results, the databases. So we have the IMO database that will be anonymized while the MRV database uh, will be publicly available. Uh, I would say that the challenges of the regulation is not so much the, 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 the technical parameters that are needed by the operators, uh, but I would say more the administrative burden that uh, is also for the crew and the, the corporate staff, the operators in the, in the, in the office, uh, which could possibly be addressed by uh, some kind of an automated system to make our life easier and also possibly the crew commitment <laughs> to actually follow the plans uh, uh, for the regulation, the plans already prepared. Uh, attention needs to be made uh, to the fact that the verification is a quite heavy procedure, so uh, it is important that all the owners and the operators do follow their uh, plans uh, with quite uh, uh, attention. Thank you. And I have kept the last uh, question from my friend, Dr. Barbaris, who is the president of Safe Balkas. Are environmental regulations going to act as sustainability filters between big and small players? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I would uh, like to say a few points, a uh, few comments before. Regulations, uh, <coughs> reality, uh, and uh, studies uh, that uh, have been done always have several assumptions uh, which are questionable and uh, they present alternatives. So if we go to the several uh, discussions we went to get today, uh, ballast water treatment regulation is an old regulation, uh, I mean, 14 years ago it was uh, established. So it's quite mature regulation, it's a, it's a reality, and we need to install ballast water treatment, treatment plants. And this is uh, no doubt, and uh, our company has moved towards this direction. Uh, when we speak about uh, other emissions, uh, we have uh, the NOx uh, regulation, the tier 3, which uh, is a quite uh, effective regulation because uh, vessels from a certain point and on, new builds, will have to install uh, tier 3 engines with uh, exhaust uh, gas recirculation or uh, other uh, uh, various uh, changes that uh, is feasible and so the industry will move gradually from uh, tier 1 to tier 2 and to tier 3 with lower NOx emissions and this will happen in the next, let's say, 10 to 15 years. Uh, about the regulation of uh, uh, sulfur, uh, the truth is that uh, this is also a reality. I mean, we know that the self-regulation will be implemented a little bit uh, earlier or a little bit later, it doesn't matter. And uh, I read uh, uh, the point that uh, Mr. Epstratiu mentioned just before, he said that uh, owners want uh, full ban. I read it very clearly that you should not install scrubbers because if there is a full ban, there is no uh, uh, way to install in all vessels by 2020 
scrubbers with exception, yes, but if you have a, com a complete ban, yes, uh, so it's very difficult to install in a couple of years from now in, in all vessel scrubbers. So the industry, uh, the fuel industry will adapt itself and so we'll see the fuels that, uh, I mean, they, they, they have, we have right now all these assumptions uh, for more expensive fuels, we'll see that uh, this will uh, be sorted out and that uh, scrubbing, uh, scrubbers technology will not be implemented uh, except in certain vessels. Uh, of course, LNG uh, that we discussed uh, also, uh, LNG is not uh, a solution because uh, it needs a, a global network of LNG and uh, substantial uh, in, uh, substantial investments in existing ships, so it's almost impossible. Uh, how this, this will influence uh, our uh, uh, industry? The truth is uh, very clear uh, that uh, Older vessels gradually will need to be scrapped because uh, they, they will not be able to uh, apply all these technologies. Uh, newer ships uh, will have a competitive advantage. Don't forget that uh, also in terms of, uh, we, we speak about NGO and uh, in, for using uh, after 2020 uh, as an alternative to scrappers, uh, MGO is uh, it's not, uh, it's not viscous, so it means that uh, uh, there might be also in older ships uh, quite a big problem to operate uh, that. So ahead of us, we have a couple of uh, years. We have ballast water treatment, which is efficient. There will be problems uh, with implementation, I'm sure about that. Uh, but uh, that's why we need to cooperate with uh, the industry and with the makers in order to resolve the problems and get, get the experience. Uh, NOx is quite uh, solved and I don't believe that scrappers will be installed. The end result will be uh, that scrapping will be faster after 2020 when we have the new regulation of shelter. Thank you. Thank you, Luca. And of course, let's not forget that uh, with so much technology uh, on board, uh, we need to educate the ship personnel in such a short time, which is another major challenge. Um, we don't have time, is that correct? Uh, how well doing? Uh, right. It, uh, maybe uh, I, for two minutes, just to, to add my personal uh, comments. Uh, as I said in the beginning, the oil industry and refineries uh, have proved that they can respond to demand. Uh, it's a major investment, but it was, again, the case 20, 25 years ago with the diesel for commercial vehicles and so on. In terms of LNG, uh, we appreciate all the comments, but let's not forget that it's the fossil fuel that is produced keeps increasing in production compared to all the others. And third, uh, the use the use of scrubbers as a, as a concept, I'm not talking about the investment, of course, and all the rest, moving the pollution from the air to the sea. There are different systems, open, closed, hybrid, and so on, with different advantages. But conceptually, to use an old, dirty fuel and use something to clean it at such a cost 
uh, needs some further discussion. Why in the automotive industry we solve the problem? Because luckily the catalyst is, is a very cheap uh, uh, device that was available at the time to solve the issues. But the numbers are very different in the case of shipping. So a little bit of thought, um, we try to offer uh, uh, our views, some personal, some more uh, based on what we represent. Uh, I would like to thank the, all the panel members for the thoughtful input. George wants to say something as always. <laughs> It's not always, you know. I just, I just want to emphasise. I mean, first of all, the importance of your panel today. I think basically it's probably the most important issue we have to discuss in the, in the whole day. You know, because this situation with the inconsistency with the regulations as to what we can do, as to what the law is trying to, to invoke on us, is a billion-dollar question. In fact, it's a trillion-dollar question. And the only thing which I'd like to mention is that you've got this inconsistency where I think the IMO, as some of our speakers mentioned earlier, I think they are in compliance. I think they see the big picture. They think out of the box and they see the, the commercial reality. There's a big difference between what you want to do and what you can do realistically in the market. But I think the bigger problem we have here is that the European Union, it's a bit of a cat and mouse scenario, because the European Union don't have the same insight, don't have the same capacity or the resources to appreciate the problems. So even though the IMO, which is the governing body for regulations, I think it, to a certain extent they are imposing laws and time limits which may not be able to be compiled with easily. But I think in fairness, they're only doing it under the pressure of the European Union. And I think we have to be, perhaps think out of the box and perhaps encourage them and help them to literally apply some kind of flexibility as when it's required. The other aspect which I want to mention, a minor point, when you mentioned about the districts used to, to reduce the sulfur from the high sulfur, low sulfur. Well, first of all, you've got the problem, as you mentioned, about the low viscosity. Secondly, um, you've got a very higher possibility of, of, of casualty breakdown. I mean, I'll give you one example. Uh, ships on the west coast of the US who have been trying to convert from the high, the high, the high sulfur to lower sulfur because of the strict compliance of the west coast of the United States, which are open apparatus now, which is different than what they, the regulation of the East Coast of the United States, so we have this also, the conflict of law in different parts of the world, there's been a, a, a breakdown of fivefold. I mean, ships have, ships have literally been incapacitated, immobilized, because the transition of going from the high viscosity to low viscosity has a certain amount of technical arrangements which one has to apply on ships, which is not the easy thing to do, so you also got more casualties. Thank you. So, uh, if there is any uh, burning question, maybe we can address it, or during the coffee break or later today. Well, okay. Thank you all.